Hello, and welcome to episode 201 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Sojourn Made, All Return to Show. Ooh. Ooh. My name is Rudiger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, Hi. and your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, dash podcaster. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little under the weather today, so hopefully mm-hmm. it won't be super obvious, but... Mwah. Yes, I will try to... A.k.a. Sicky McGee. I will try to maintain my stiff upper lip. <laughs> all right, so we've got... A lot of Comic-Con news, so mm-hmm. I've broken it down into sections here, so we'll just sort of do these pretty rapid fire, probably. Um, so in Marvel news, of course, the big thing was the announcement of pretty much the entire Phase 4 slate, which consists of four or five movies with definitive dates, a few others which were said as being in the works but weren't given any actual dates, and then a whole bunch of Disney Plus series, which all of which we basically knew about already, we've talked about before, you know. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, What If, the Hawkeye one was confirmed, Loki. Mm-hmm. So we were given a little bit, a few more details about those, but not really much we didn't already know. Um, but the Phase 4 movie slate was the big the big thing. So probably the one that I was most surprised by, even though we had heard rumors about a week ago that, um, well, I guess it was actually a confirmation that uh, Taito Waikiti is, was returning to do a fourth Thor movie, his yeah. second, but the fourth overall Thor movie. Um, everybody just assumed it would be like more in the vein of Thor Ragnarok. But what it actually is, is going to be the seemingly from what they said and uh, at the panel is going to be the passing of the mantle as happened in the comics for a few years, the passing of the mantle from the titular Thor to Jane Foster played by Natalie Portman. Um, and she'll be the new mighty Thor and Chris Hemsworth will be in this movie and will presumably continue to be in future movies. Although maybe this will be his swan song, who knows? Um, but she will be the new you know, bearer of the mantle. That's awesome. So this happened in the comics for a while, and he went off and had his own adventures as like Odin's son, but mm-hmm. she was the new Thor, and she had the hammer and everything. Although there's no hammer anymore, so maybe she'll just have the... No, they Storm- got a hammer. Yeah, they, but that they, went back. They oh, had to take true. that they back. They did take it back in time. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. not too many endgame spoilers, but um, but yeah, so probably maybe she'll just have the Stormbreaker, or maybe they'll forge her a new hammer mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know who would do that. Um, maybe they'll go and get... They'll go back and uh, find Peter Dinklage again and have him... I guess he could, right? Hey, no, they no spoilers, the no spoilers. That's from last year's movie, though. You can spoil Peter Dinklage. That's from Infinity War. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but they also announced a, um, let's see, what else was there? Was there? So um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which mm-hmm. is a real mouthful. This will be the, what they say. So Scott Derrickson, the director of the first movie, is returning. But they say this is going to be Marvel Studios' first horror movie. Mm-hmm. So instead of like the psychedelic, magical action adventure of the first movie this will be straight horror um and will actually co-star elizabeth olsen as scarlet witch um in a way that will follow up on the story that is being told in the wandavision disney plus series mm-hmm. so this will be one way in which those will tie together uh let's see what else was there so we we also oh they announced um mahershala ali i'm not sure i'm pronouncing that right as the new blade mm-hmm. although that was one of the movies that didn't get a definitive date um that's just sometime in the future um, they mentioned Captain Marvel 2, Black Panther 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Those don't have firm dates yet. Um, they mentioned Fantastic Four and the X-Men. They're working on those, but those are probably even farther off because they just got the movie rights back um, to those guys. Let's see, what else am I forgetting? Oh, Shang-Chi. So Shang-Chi um, and the something of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. So this will be their first movie with an Asian lead. This is basically like a, a sort of a kind of like, I guess you could say kind of like Iron Fist, but without some of the mystical elements, but like basically a martial arts hero. Mm-hmm. But unlike Iron Fist, which has some of the unfortunate like white savior 
yeah. stereotypes in there. This guy is an Asian lead, their first Asian lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have a more or less all Asian cast, much like Black Panther had a pretty much all black cast. Um, and the mention of the Ten Rings implies that this will tie into the mythology from the Iron Man movies. And in fact, they announced um, an actor will be playing the real Mandarin. What, what would be kind of fun is if they had... Um, Ben Kingsley, ben Kingsley show up as like a little cameo here where like he's brought before the real Mandarin and then executed or something like that. Um, let's see, I'm forgetting one of them. Doctor Strange, Shang-Chi, Thor. There was a fourth one that was given a hard date. But, oh, Black Widow, of course. But mm-hmm. I, I forget that they just announced that because we've been talking about that for so long and it's filming. It's coming out in like nine right. months. But they just gave the final, the, the they made that official. Mm-hmm. So, th- so seemingly, even though phase three had like seven or eight movies, it seems like phase four, at least the part they've only announced so far, only four movies with definitive dates, but then four or five Disney Plus series. But they only announced movies for 2020 and 2021. Right. So it's possible there might be more movies in 2022 that will be part of Phase 4, but they're just not announcing things that far out. I'd be very surprised if Black Panther 2 and Captain Marvel 2 weren't 2022 uh, projects. Guardians 3 will probably be further out because James Gunn needs to finish Suicide Squad 2 before he can even start on that. So that's probably three years out, maybe more. Uh, which is unfortunate. And they did say that, I think it was actually stated that um, Chris Hemsworth will be in that also, mm-hmm. like we kind of suspected after Endgame. So we're going to see him at least twice more. Thor 4 or whatever they call it, the mighty Thor. I know what they're going to... No, they announced what it's called. Thor Love and Thunder is what, they're, is what it's being called. Um, and then Guardians 3. Um, so that was pretty much all the news there. I mean, they, they announced an all-star cast for the What If animated series. Um Pretty much everybody from the live action movies will be reprising their roles for this in animated form. So that's something we hope we hope for, but it's really cool that they're doing it. Um, and then, like I said, they announced Blade coming sometime in the future in those other projects. The only um, the only bit of sad news coming out around Comic-Con from Marvel stuff is the Days Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will end, not after this season, but after next year's season seven, which I think they're filming now. I think they're filming season six. I think they filmed season six like a year ago, and mm-hmm. then it was... They held it back, and so mm-hmm. I think they're sort of doing something similar now. I don't know, but basically they're wrapping up filming now, um, and the the announcement that there won't be any more was because sort of, I remember them talking about how the the cast talking about how it was bittersweet, you know, because they're filming their final scenes now, and then they go to Comic Con and say goodbye to the fans and everything, so it kind of lined up in that way. But so that's too bad. But I mean, seven years is a good run, and yep. the fact that it seemed they seemed like they were ending after season season five, and then they got two shorter seasons after that is kind of like an additional yeah, it's kind of like a bonus. Um, so that's too bad, but you know, I mean, I think, I think the show sort of ran its course and also they've got all these new shows, not just the Disney plus shows, but also additional shows on Hulu. Like we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, ghost rider and, and the others, um, as well as runaways continuing that, uh, that I think their slate is pretty full. Yeah. So, agreed. Um, so in, ter- in terms of the CW shows, so we got a lot more information about the crisis on infinite earths crossover event coming this later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned that, um, <clears throat> Well, sorry, sorry. So, so first, some some sort of minor housekeeping news that a lot, um, a bunch of actors, things that you kind of expect, but a bunch of actors that were recurring previously in some of these shows have been promoted to regulars. So, uh, Andrea Brooks, I think, is her name. The actress that plays Eve Tessmacher has mm-hmm. been bumped to regular for season five of Supergirl. Um, the actors that play um, Connor Hawk and uh, is it Mia Mia Smoke or Mia Queen? It's Mia Smoke, Smoke right? Smoke. Legally speaking. Um, uh, and I think also, oh yeah, the actor that plays William, they've all been bumped to regulars for a season eight of Arrow also. Um, and they actually just cast an actor to play John Diggle Jr., Connor Hawke's oh, you know, cool. stepbrother. Yeah. So we'll be seeing him in the future also. Nice. Um, let's see. I think that was mostly it. Um, 
Oh, and they cast an actor, and in fact, we saw it in the trailer for The Flash season six, an actor to play Bloodwork, um, the main villain of at least half of the season, because the other half of the season will be all about the crisis, apparently, right. so he's going to be the big bad. What's interesting about casting Bloodwork is that um, he is a very new villain. He was just introduced in the comics about a, a year ago, a year and a half ago, in really? Joshua Williamson's current Flash run. Oh, no kidding. Um Oh, he wait, was like I a, remember. He was like a CSI tech, and then he got like these weird blood powers and stuff. Yeah, and he, that's right. I remember so this. So I, I, they'll probably change him up quite a bit for the show, but it's it's kind of cool. I remember him, him tweeting, this is like, I just created this guy a year ago, and now he's going to be the major villain for a season of a TV show. So you know? cool. You hmm. don't normally get that kind of turnaround. Um, although I think that they're kind of like, I don't want to say they're scraping the bottom of the barrel, but they've used all the big headliners already, either mm-hmm. as recurring villains like the rogues or as the big villains like, right. you know, Zoom and... and um, and reverse flash, obviously, and even characters like the Thinker, they elevated to big bad status. So I'm not surprising that they're they're um, calming the some of the more obscure villains. Although the way things are going with Joshua Williamson's current Flash Year One arc, I'm a little surprised that they're not going to make a bigger deal of the turtle. Remember, they They've had, already used the. Turtle. I know they had uh, Chief Tiro from Battlestar yep. Galactic in that one episode. I don't know what the hell what the hell else he's doing. They should get him back to be the big bad for a That's season. So you know, he's really good. Yeah, he's great. Um, Characters are going to be getting some new costumes this season. So Supergirl, I know some of this is old news to you because yep. some of this stuff was like three weeks ago, but we haven't recorded in a while. So Supergirl's getting a new costume. Um, it has pants on it this yep. time. And it's really a lot. It really is... Um, Take that, patriarchy. Sort of a... It's very similar to Tyler Hecklin's <laughs> Superman costume. Yeah. You know, the S still doesn't have the yellow behind it, and there's certain, uh, and it still has that bit of the gloves that cut, sort of come between the, the thumb and pointer finger, yeah. like hers have always had, yeah. and his never did. But it's now very similar to his. It has like the gold clasp where the cape meets the shoulders. Yeah, it has a I thought it was belt. a silver one, but maybe I was just seeing it. In it a could different be, light. but I, it, don't know. I think it when we see matter. them side by side coming right. up, They'll which be. we'll talk about in a second, I think yeah. they're going to match a lot better than they did. Um, Green Arrow is getting a new costume for the final season. It really seems like a merging of the recent costumes and his season one costume, which is kind of cool. It looks like it has a cloth hood again, like, like the very first hood that he yeah. had, um, that he got from the island. It has sort of like a braided design element coming down the shoulders, which mm-hmm. the original one did, but it's it's still mostly leather like his current one is. Um, let's see. Apparently, I saw this the other day that uh, that um, Grant Gustin is getting a slightly new costume too. They're revising the cowl a little bit. Okay. The cowl bothered... I don't know if this bothered you in the last season. The cowl bothered me a little bit in this last season um, because unless his head was in a very specific position, it would kind of puff Trunky. out on the sides. Yeah. Did you notice that? Like it, they had to be long enough in the neck you know what to was. accommodate certain head positions. Right. But when he would bow his head or whatever, it would just puff out on the sides. Like there these big folds oh, that would see, puff I out. See. And no, that I was always really that. distracting to me. The, when it was a harder piece that came that had the chin piece too, yeah, and yeah. it was like a more solid neck piece, you didn't have that. But with the more open neck aspect that it is now, it's so I don't know if that's what they're uh, revising, but that always bugged me a little bit. Um, <laughs> We got a lot of Crisis on Infinite Earth news, like I said. So uh, some of this is just bizarre. So Burt Ward, of all mm-hmm. people, is going to be in Crisis on Infinite Earth. The obvious presupposition was that he'll be playing some form of Dick Grayson. For the newbies, why don't you fill in uh, everybody? Who I think Burt, everybody knows this, do, but Burt Ward they, was Robin in the, in the 1966 the Batman series. The first live-action Robin. I saw someone say yeah. today that, well, um, I don't want to say that definitively. I think he might have been the first live-action Robin. Certainly there were live-action Batmans before that in movie serials and stuff. But oh, I think okay, I don't think any of them had Robin. So, yes, I think you're right about that. Um, I saw a news article today that supposed that presupposed that he would be playing, you know, the version of Robin from the 1966 Batman Earth where his Batman has died and now he's sort of taken over as like an adult Robin. Oh, interesting. Um, but I think that might just be fan speculation. Um, Brandon Routh, this is the crazy part. Brandon Routh will be playing Superman again. Um <laughs> I mean, I 
I, I like Superman Returns a lot more than most people. I actually really like that movie. I think that's a really good movie. And I think he was excellent in it. I, I liked I, him very yeah. much from the moment that I, I saw him in that movie. Um, and it's obviously great that we continue to get him on a weekly basis as the Atom. But seeing him as Superman again will be a lot of fun. And what, what wasn't announced initially but then was revealed later is that he won't be wearing any sort of variant or even the original, if it would still fit, Superman Returns costume from the movie. Um, instead, he'll be playing, it seems, based on, you know, what the shirt that he was wearing when he ripped open his shirt at Comic-Con, it seems like he'll be playing Kingdom Come Superman. I mean, whether he's going to be ha- have all the Kingdom Come backstory or not, probably not. What all that probably means is that they'll be portraying him as like an older, more veteran Superman. Um, perhaps they'll sort of put a little bit of gray at his temples. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing that, it's cool to have him wear the Kingdom Come outfit because that just says veteran Superman who's seen a lot, you right, know? Right, right. Um, I think that'll probably what they'll be going for. And in contrast to Tyler Hecklin's Superman, who's like 32 years old, right? Right. Um, and, and along those lines, we learned also that um, Tyler Hecklin will be back as Superman. Um, Bitsy Tulloch will be back as Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to come back from Argo, I suppose, yep. and they'll have had their kid. Yeah. We're all assuming it'll be little baby John Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Cavanaugh <laughs> yeah. is going to be playing Pariah, which is exciting. I was explaining to you that he's a character from the, the Crisis on Infinite Earth story who was cursed to like watch each Earth be destroyed by the antimatter wave before being teleported to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would basically just cry and scream a lot. Um, but he'll be played by Tom Cavanaugh in this, so presumably he will be some other Earth variant of Harrison Wells yeah. in this. Um, so that's all exciting. Um, that's it for the the CW show stuff. Um, and more in DC Universe news, we learned that Doom Patrol has been renewed for a second season. I think that was strongly hinted at before. Yeah. It, it didn't strike me as a surprise when I read that, although it was treated as an announcement. Um, but the big news here is that Young Justice will be getting a season four. Squeeze. What I was especially happy to read about is that uh, they apparently knew about this for a while, so they're not just starting production now. Like when when season three was announced, like that was literally the day mm-hmm. that the the contracts were signed. They had nothing. They had. They didn't know they'd be able to get the cast back. They didn't know what writers they'd be able to get back. They hadn't obviously started on scripts or character designs or anything. That's why it was like two years from that announcement to when the first episodes came out. Right. This they apparently have known for a while. And it makes sense, obviously, because as production on season three is ending, they're going to start to lose people again unless they tie, unless they lock them down for season four. So exactly. if you're going to do it, this, working, yeah. this is when you do it. So apparently they're, they're working on scripts already. And, you know, now that they don't need to get the band back together from the four corners of the world, it presumably will be a faster turnaround. So my guess would be that this the current season will wrap up in a month or so and that probably next summer we'll get... It'll be about a year in between seasons. Next summer, we'll probably get the the first new episodes that's of season guess. four. But uh, yeah. a year in between stream- yeah, seasons I of mean, streaming shows is pretty much the norm. It's like it ten is. or eleven months between seasons of Star Trek Discovery. The Netflix shows were all a year or two in between seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Titans, uh, we knew the Titans was going to be returning for season two. We've been talking about casting news and everything, but it's coming back. I think sooner than a lot of people expect. It's coming back in September. So oh, only in, in only wow. six or seven weeks, we're getting season two of Titans. Wow. I've been seeing. Uh, leaked photos of, um, of like a Wonder Girl costume and, and Deathstroke's costume and everything. So I, I think they're going to be going a little hard. I saw one that looked like Raven had her little gem thing on her forehead now. Oh, so I think they're going to be sort of dip. going a bit more towards the comics in this season. And we've talked before about how they've cast Deathstroke, Ravager, Jericho, Bruce Wayne, right? Like, so it seems that they've got a lot of people in this season and it's going to be very exciting. 
Wow, that's awesome. I was even seeing some photos of the actor playing Jericho, who's super jazzed to be in the show, and he was standing in a set that sure looks like a high-tech base of some kind, so maybe even Titan's Tower or some variation of that. We're not just going to be like... Because last season, they spent a little bit of time in that sort of backup Batman loft, right? But the rest of the time, they were just like in cars or staying in motel rooms. So if they're going to be a superhero team on an ongoing basis, they need some kind of headquarters, I think. Even the Doom Patrol had had the mansion, right? Yeah. So... So in DC animated news, they announced the next, this was at the Batman Hush premiere Comic-Con, they announced next year's uh, movies, the three movies. So we're finally getting an animated adaptation of Superman Red Sun, which I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. No casting news for any of these yet. This is all after the Wonder Woman Bloodlines movie that we already know we're getting later this year. This is all, this is next year stuff. So an adaptation of Superman Red Sun, that's obviously out of the regular ongoing continuity of these movies. Um, Then back in continuity, we're going to have a second Justice League Dark movie. Presumably with Matt Ryan returning again as Constantine. What's interesting is this one is called Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming this will be following up on some of the plot threads from the Death and Return of Superman movies where Darkseid was sort of up to his usual shenanigans and it ended with Lex Luthor joining the Justice League and the team saying we've got to do something about this Darkseid problem. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming this will kind of continue that plot thread. And a lot of the cast members from the Justice League Dark movie from I guess a couple of years ago by this point will be returning for that. And then the third project is something called Superman, Man of Tomorrow. Um, Not a lot of details in this one yet. It sounded like an out-of-continuity sort of young Superman story. I guess it could be in continuity because I guess what they're doing with Wonder Woman Bloodlines is they're changing up the character designs and basically doing a year one story for Wonder Woman, but they're using Rosario Dawson and it's presumably in continuity. It's just like a prequel. So I guess this could be the Jerry O'Connell Superman. It just could be before Justice League War and all those other movies. So who knows? But not a lot of details on that. Um, quite a bit of DC Comics publishing news. A bunch of new series and projects were announced. Um, Tom King and uh, Mitch Jarrods, of course, the now multi-Eisner award-winning team yeah. behind Mr. Miracle, yeah. um, they hinted that about a new project they were working on together, their follow-up to Mr. Miracle, from a, not necessarily from like a thematic perspective, but from a, right. the two of them working on a thing together perspective. They'd been hinting at something for a while, and it was finally announced it will be an Adam Strange series. Oh, cool. So that's cool. I'm looking forward to that. Um, there was a new ongoing Birds of Prey series announced, uh, oh, written nice. by Brian Azzarello, with art by Emanuela Lupacino, which you kind of have to say it like that. When oh, you're... it's beautiful. Um, she's done a lot of art. She did some art, I guess this is before your time, for the Starfire series that you didn't read. She did some art for the for the Supergirl series under Steve Orlando. Um, she did some recent Wonder Woman stuff, too. I think you'd recognize her. It's very lush. Uh, it's a good fit. And this really seems like it's going to be um, time to tie into the Birds of Prey movie which is coming out. Oh, wow. And and as such, it'll feature Harley Quinn as part of the team in addition to Black Canary and Huntress, not instead of the traditional Barbara Gordon, Black Canary, Huntress mm-hmm. trinity, you yep, know? Yep. I mean, Barbara Gordon might be in there, but she's got her own series now, so you don't even really need her in there, I don't feel like. So Harley Quinn, yep. uh, Black Canary, Huntress, Brian Azzarello, Lupacino, so that should be good. Um, they announced a new uh, 12, I think it's 12 issue, 12 issue maxi series from uh, Warren Ellis, writer of The Wildstorm and a bunch of other really good stuff, um, and art by Brian Hitch, who just wrapped up his 12-issue run on Hawkman. Um, <gasps> yeah. So they're going to be working on a series called The Batman's Grave. This is I'm not quite sure if this is in continuity or not. It was unclear, but it at the very least, it sounds like a very different version of Batman. But, you know, our authorial license and out of continuity are, you know, there's a very thin line between those things sometimes. Um, it sounds like it's going to be focused on a Batman who is more obsessive, one could say that he he obsesses over the minutia of the of victims' lives and like he gets he gets into their heads and he like 
it seems like he's a lot more empathetic. Un- well, not empathetic because that, that that's normally a good thing. But right. it's, it sounds like he like becomes obsessed with seeing things from the victim's perspective and like and being and what reliving the events. Well, I don't or... know. Like as, presumably no. as a means to solving the crime. But it's from what it, from what Ellis was saying in the interview. It sounds like he takes it to an unhealthy sort of fixation degree. So this will be like a super obsessed version of Batman. And I, anyway, so it, it sounds like an interesting take. Just like that's something I don't think we've normally. He he's very good at pretty much every version of Batman maintains a very good. I mean, there's things wrong with him, certainly. But being overly emotionally invested in an average murder victim is normally not something you can fault him for. He normally maintains a very clinical detachment, sometimes to a fault. Even though, you know, we know that he he really cares, he's normally very good at maintaining that distance. So this is a version of him that maybe maybe it's earlier in his career or or whatever, but he doesn't quite have that. So that'll be an interesting take. Um, This is interesting. I didn't see this coming. Um, Tales from the Dark Multiverse. So... This is going to be a new set of projects by various creators that seem like they're reimagining classic DC comic storylines, but if they happened on one of the dark alternate Earths in the dark, dark multiverse. Yeah. So the first two projects will be Death of Superman and Nightfall. So basically the death of Superman on the whole Bane breaking Batman's back being replaced by Azrael thing. Right. But as happened in a different Earth in the dark multiverse with presumably things going in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. So you could consider these to be like Elseworlds versions or like what-if versions of those stories, but with like the sort of Dark Knight's Metal slash Batman Who Laughs kind of tone to them, where things presumably go very wrong instead of the way those stories actually ended, which is things pretty much returning to normal at the end. So that's interesting. It's a way of sort of doing more Elseworlds stuff while still kind of having it in continuity, right? Because it's right. just happening on a different Earth in the multiverse, yeah. in the dark multiverse, but it's canon right yeah. so characters that come out of these series after the end could theoretically show up anywhere else just like the batman who laughs does right mm-hmm. uh let's see a new metal man series from dan didio himself and artist shane davis who's really good uh the metal man are like dan didio's favorite thing he loves mm-hmm. the challengers he loves sort of omac he loves like obscure quirky characters like that but he really loves the metal man so this will be fun um let's see um New uh, DC Black Label books from Jeff Lemire, who uh, was writing uh, The Terrifics until recently. A, a new Joker Black Label book, which will focus on um, how like the how an average person that's affected by one of his crimes, right. sort of like from their perspective. So you can imagine like if someone's wife is killed by the Joker or something like that, we don't normally follow up on that person very much, but it'll be told from their perspective. Right. How an average person's life can be kind of like, I guess probably a less funny version of the Joker's favor Batman the Animated Series episode with the Charlie Collins character who was hounded by the Joker for years. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, and then also a question uh, project from Jeff Lemire also from DC Black Label, which sounds really interesting. This makes it sound like, whether this is in continuity or not, I don't know, makes it sound like there's been like questions throughout history, kind of like a Hawkman kind of thing, like at different points in history there's been a question and this will sort of tie a lot together. So I don't know if that's in continuity or not, but Jeff Lemire is really good. So that looking forward to that. And finally, this is something that had been hinted at before, but we got some firm details about it. Superman Smashes the Clan. So this is an interesting project, as you may or may not be aware from like various documentaries and stuff we've watched. The Superman radio show in the 50s mm-hmm. did a story arc where Superman confronted a sort of thinly disguised allegory for the Ku Klux Klan. Jeez. Like they were attacking some some mm-hmm. people and he's stepped in and fought them off and you know mm-hmm. delivered speeches to all the kids listening to the radio right. show about inclusiveness and, and tolerance and so on but what's actually interesting and this might be apocryphal but this is something that they say in all the documentaries is that they were actually working with information that had been gotten from someone who had actually 
gotten some inside information from the real clan, like someone who defected or who was like, oh, wow. like a, a tipster or whatever. So they actually used the radio program to expose the secret codes that the real life clan used to communicate. Whoa. And in so doing, actually dealt a pretty severe blow to the clan at the time. Like the clan was trying to get these radio, was trying to like get these, the program shut down because they were exposing all of their secret communication codes. Oh my Lord. But just from like a, from a, right, you know, tolerance perspective, from a, you know. Yeah, yeah making the world a better place perspective. It was it was a landmark thing at the time in the 50s. Anyway, um, you're going to butcher his name, which is not what you want when you're talking about this sort of subject matter, but Gene Luang Yu or something like that. I'm butchering his name. But the the uh, writer that did the uh, new Superman, you know, the Superman of China yes. series, mm-hmm. he is obviously of Asian descent. And this storyline, it was, I think, the family that was being terrorized by the Klan was Asian. I could be wrong mm-hmm. about that. One would assume they would be black, but I'm not sure that was the case originally. At least it will be in this version. Um, he is basically writing a comics updating adaptation of that. Wow. Um, it's got a really fun looking art style, which is an interesting choice. But mm-hmm. I guess maybe the subject matter, if they did like dark, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like um, what's the name? I'm blanking. Give me a second. Uh, Libra Mayho, like Batman Damned. Like if you got like art <laughs> like that on this, I think that that would be just too much, right? Right, right. Um, it would be a very It's got a, sort yeah. of like an animated style. Yep. It's kind of like a Steven Universe style, if you've ever seen art from the cartoon Steven Universe. Um, but it will be a, an, I guess it probably can't be like a modern retelling of that because I don't think the clan exists anymore, at least not in as widespread a fashion. Yeah. Um, so it will presumably be a period piece, but it will be told with like a modern sensibility. Okay. You know? um, and it will embellish on that original story and sort of update it. And he's doing that. So wow. that's, that's an interesting project, I thought. Um, lastly, Star Trek news. So there was a lot of Star Trek news at Comic-Con. Stuff we already knew, obviously, Star Trek Picard, the new short tracks. We've got some details on the upcoming short tracks. So um, I think that this is going to have to be after the short, because we knew we were getting a couple of more short tracks this year, I think, that will be animated. They didn't mention those this time. So maybe these new ones are after those. But they announced six new ones. They gave the titles and everything. Three are going to feature some combination of number one, Spock and Captain Pike from the recent series of Star Trek Discovery with the actors reprising their roles. One we saw a lot of footage from in the preview was it seemed like it's sort of like a um, number one and, and Spock and his first day on the Enterprise stuck in an elevator, basically, like the whole the classic sitcom yeah, thing, yeah. stuck in an elevator, except it's a turbo Bottle lift. episode. Um, yeah. There was an inter- interesting one with Pike seemingly like in prison or something, and he's like, you've got to let me out of here, only I can right. fix this problem or whatever. There's seemingly a lot of tribbles in at least one of these. Mm-hmm. Then of the remaining three, one will be there to set up stuff for the Picard show, one will be there to set up stuff for Discovery Season 3, and then the fourth one, I'm forgetting, but there was something about the, it's animated. The, is the last one going to be animated? Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, that that's the slate. And so, we're, we're obviously very happy to have those actors returning. Yeah. And so, that'll be a lot of fun. We got more detail on the Star Trek Lower Decks animated series. We got the first character designs. They announced the cast. Um, there's going to be um, four ensigns serving on a not important ship in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think there's like, from what I've seen, and we don't have any footage yet, it's probably currently being animated. They presumably recorded the lines, right. but it's still being animated. Um. I think just so we, we don't have any like actual footage from the show to go on, but this seems like they're striking a good balance. Like it's not going to be, it'll be a funny show, but it's not going to make fun of Star Trek. It's going to be for people who are bored on a boring ship and are just making jokes to like, they're funny, they're funny people and funny people make jokes, but that doesn't mean everything that's going to be happening on the show is inherently funny. Right. Right. It's just yeah. going to be funny people commenting on regular Star Trek stuff that happens. Right. Um, What's interesting about this is it's going to be post 
post-Nemesis and post-Voyager. So this will be like interesting filling in the gaps between, I mean, I don't know how hard canon this is going to be. I'm assuming it is canon. Yep. But I'm not sure how important it'll be to like the Star Trek mythology. But this will presumably be some time in between Nemesis and Picard mm-hmm. in those 20 years. Um, and, you know, they, I didn't recognize a lot of the cast, but Jerry O'Connell is going to be playing a rugged Riker-like first officer on so the ship. Funny. And... Um, Oh, I'm blanking on the on the on the actress, uh, African American actress who's going to be playing the captain on the show. But they're the the four main characters are all ensigns, but they've got the bridge crew there too. But mm-hmm. I imagine it'll be like, um, kind of like the original conception of the West Wing, where we weren't going to see the president very often. Yeah. We were just going to see the little people that work for him, and mm-hmm. we'd see him maybe every now and then. Mm-hmm. So I imagine Jerry O'Connell and them will be recurring. Um, and then we got a lot more information about Picard. So we got the first full-length trailer for it, which looked awesome. Like it, yeah. looks, it looks like a million bucks. The huge surprise that I don't think anybody saw coming. We knew the main cast before, but we they announced some new additions to the cast. Jerry Ryan, Brent Spiner, and I think it's Jonathan Del Arco, I think is his name. Uh, Seven of Nine, Data, and Hugh, Hugh. the Borg, mm-hmm. from a 25-year-old Next Gen episode, yeah. Yeah. which I don't think anybody saw coming. This trailer really makes it seem like it's going to deal with Two main things, the Romulans and the Borg. Yep. Seemingly intertwined in some way because we saw like a Romulan work camp where there was a sign that said X number of days since assimilation. It looked like a station kind of like Deep Space Nine. I didn't know if it was it a work kinda, camp. It looked but... kind of more like, like Terok Nor, which is, I understand yeah, yeah, the yeah. same thing, but it looked like when the Romulans were, wor- when the Romulans, when <sighs> the Bajorans were... Being do, kept were like captive on, by the Cardassians, yeah. And there were like the guards, the Cardassian guards up there on the, the promenade on the, with the rifles. Yeah, on um, the rafter. But it looked like there were Romulan scientists like dissecting Borg and removing their implants, maybe for their own technological use. I mean, it raises a million questions, right? Like, what is the status of the Romulan Empire after Romulus was destroyed in the J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams movie? What is the status of the Borg mm-hmm. after Voyager dealt a crippling blow to the Borg Queen and the central Unimatrix mm-hmm. uh, in, in the, in the se- in series finale of Voyager? I mean, is there still a Borg collective? Is everybody like Hugh now? Um is are the Romulans like like it just raises a million questions yep. and so just like from a Star Trek nerd perspective I'm I'm really excited to get answers to these questions, um, but from that perspective it makes a lot of sense that Seven and Hugh would be back yep. you know like the original yeah. Borg freed albeit temporarily or so they thought from the collective and then the most iconic version of that with I guess the po- possible exception of Picard himself, um, Seven of Nine like if Picard's going to be going up against the Borg, yep. it makes sense that these he would either seek these people out or they would find him. Right. And I mean, it looks like they found him because from the trailer... It looks like Seven just showed up in his living room. <laughs> yeah. Really human-sounding Seven, too, right, which right. I guess stands to reason. It's been almost 20 years after Voyager ended. Like, if she hadn't continued to... Characters on evolve. Voyager were not really allowed to evolve that much. She probably evolved the most, which is one of the reasons why I think she's most one people's of the favorite. Favorites, Her and yeah. the Doctor kind yeah. of got the most development, which is why I think they're most people's favorite characters. But just from a... Um, from a, a gross performance perspective, her delivery of lines as Seven of Nine didn't really seem like it was allowed to change very much. You know what I mean? Like right. She, we learned more about her character and her character evolved, tried new things, had new experiences, mm-hmm. got more in touch with certain aspects of her hum- humanity. But she very much carried herself and spoke in a similar manner to the way she did when she was first introduced. But this looks like there's been a lot of growth mm-hmm. from her. And then Data, which is which is the huge question, because of course Data was spoilers for a fifteen year old movie. Data was destroyed at the end of Star Trek Nemesis, like atomized when the the scimitar yeah. blew up. We see a shot of Picard and Allison's Pil- Allison Pill's character um, opening a drawer where there's all the parts in there, kind of like when they found lore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a shot the the surprise bit at the end of the trailer is Picard drinking tea and and playing, playing cards 
or cards, cards. Yeah, presumably poker. Cards. Right? He he, he oh, sat yeah. in on that first poker game and all good things, and I guess he's kept it up. <laughs> um, and Data, seemingly Data, like I guess it might not be him, right. but seemingly Data sitting there. He certainly is addressing Picard. He, he calls him, him captain. captain. If this is someone, if this is some new Soong type android that Picard hadn't interacted with before, or someone like Lore or B4, he wouldn't call him captain. He would call him admiral or Mr. Picard because he hasn't been a captain in 20 years, right? Right. Only someone who knew him well then and mm-hmm. not since then would mm-hmm. call him captain. Plus, I don't think you get Brent Spiner back and not have him play Data. I think that would just be a tease. Like, you could do it. Obviously, you could have him play some form of B4 or Lore could be back or it could be some new android. But I think for the fans, this is like if, if Brent Spiner is going to be in this, we've got to find a way to bring Data back, which mm. is fine. It's been, he's been dead for 15 years. Right. Spock was dead for like two. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, it's fine. Like I can, I'll give them that. Um, he, and he looks like it looks, it's a little jarring because we know Brent Spiner doesn't look like that anymore. I'm, you seem to think it's just really heavy makeup. Yeah. Um, that, that it could be some combination guess. of that and like some light Marvel style de-aging CG. Who knows? I agree with you that it doesn't really look like he looked 15 years ago. Like his, his, the shape of his face is different and you you can change that, but it's very expensive. Right. Exactly. That's, um, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to just smooth out the wrinkles. Brent Spiner, at least thankfully, has kept himself in good shape. Yeah. It's not like he weighs 400 pounds now because you can't, I mean, I guess you could CG that out, but again, that would be very expensive. Very expensive. Um, I'm a little curious. I mean, not to be unkind. I'm a little curious what they do with Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis, who have both been confirmed to have more minor guest starring roles in this Mm -hmm. because they have put on some weight so well they could play that into the i know but it's a little isn't it don't you find it a little disappointing when your 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 hero your tv heroes come back on the screen and they're like 300 pounds they're not 300 pounds don't don't be mean about it yeah no i mean it's just a natural thing that i'll be happy to see this guy i mean if we get slows down and uh you know if we get picard data Riker, troy seven of nine hugh i mean we haven't even met all these new characters who seem really interesting Mm -hmm. Um, there's a large Romulan contingent just among the regular characters. Like, it seems like there's going to be some sort of Romulan samurai, it seems like, on his crew. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. I don't like know. Like a 17-year-old Romulan. That's the only information we have about these characters because everything is incredible. Well, we know hush, a little. We, we know their names. We know that Alison Pill's character is a doctor or a scientist of some kind. Right. Uh, we know that um, the... the um, the dark-skinned woman with like the curly blonde hair. She's someone who knew Picard from back in the day. She's an ex-Starfleet officer, so we know right. a little bit of information. Um, but yeah, we we know very little about their you know their backstories or anything. Um, yeah, so all all this is really exciting. So that's not coming till 2020. Um, I'm not not sure what Star Trek we're getting this year at all. Maybe a few more. Maybe the first of the short tracks. I think they did say fall 2019 for the short tracks because they've got those in the can. Presumably, they showed footage from from them. yeah, they did. Um, so short tracks later this year, followed by Picard maybe in like January, and then that will presumably roll right into Discovery season three, which has just started filming, and that will presumably roll right into Lower Decks, which might roll into the Section Thirty One show with Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. Which I, I mean, I know their intention, as they've said, is to have a new episode of Star Trek on CBS All Access every week, mm-hmm. but they're still ramping up to that. So right. it might be like this time next year before we get there, but all these shows are there for that reason, and there's still shows that are heavily rumored but just have not been confirmed yet, like the um, <clears throat> like the uh, Starfleet Academy series and that's more younger focused. Um, I think there was also an, oh didn't we also talk about there's also going to be a show a, a, a more uh, kid skewing animated show on Nickelodeon, right? Right. And that announced a few months ago too. So. There's a lot of Star Trek coming. I, I saw that the guy that does the Trek Expertise YouTube uh, series has like an infographic 
of the sort of um, the eras of Star Trek, followed by the like the Dark Ages. You know, so you had the original series, and you had like ten years of nothing, and then you had the movies and Next Gen, and then led into Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise. That was the boom era when you had like every week on TV you had two new Star Trek shows, and then like once a year you had a movie. Like that was the boom time. And then after Enterprise ended, obviously, with the exception of the J.J. movies, you've had like another 15 years, the second second dark age, basically, you mm-hmm. could call it, right? But then now the infographic shows like an explosion because now you've got like six shows when before there's only been two at once, right? There's like six shows in active development. So it's crazy what we're getting now. And all of, all of it looks good. I mean, the, the Lower Decks stuff looks like fun. Yep. I mean, Discovery Season 3 is going to be really interesting. Oh, they announced uh, David, I'm not sure if it's David Ayala or Ajala, but the actor that played Manchester Black in the last season of Supergirl is going to be a new main character on the show, someone they find in the future, Mm -hmm. and like their their guide to that future. This is a really interesting thing. Like he embodies this future, this time. Like he is like a living embodiment of what they find in the future. I don't know what that means, if he's like like part synthetic and part synthetic and part human or something, or if he's like a bunch of different... Like Daniels on Enterprise... Where he oh, he yeah. was not he was right. not human because he's from so far in the future that like like the these concept day, of most humanity people these is... days most people in our modern world these days are not one hundred percent anything racially speaking because right. there's been so much intermarriage right and right. like a thousand years from now in the Federation everybody's a little bit Vulcan a little bit Klingon mm-hmm. you know and so maybe it'll be similar to that like he'll be part Klingon part Vulcan and whatever and the, I don't think we've ever seen a character that had so many different this is just me speculating when they say that but. Um, That'd be interesting to have a character that had so many different sides to them like that. Mm-hmm. Like, sort of like Spock and Bolana Torres rolled into one kind of maybe. I'm just speculating. Like it doesn't look like from his, the shots of him on the show that he has ears or forehead ridges or anything. So, so that's it for Comic-Con news. Wow. Crazy bit of news. Lots, so, of, lots of news. So obviously we'll continue to break this stuff down over time, but I just wanted to run through all the, the, greatest, the greatest hits. Yep. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked uh, Naomi number six, which is the final issue. And I have to say with big asterisk because I had to look through three weeks of issues to pick a comic of the week for pretty much almost a month. But um, yeah, Naomi number six, I'm going to keep it short because it was an amazing capper to this issue and it was a really lovely and loving way to to deal with the fact that she has to go on this adventure and she has to leave her family and friends behind. But they gave her full support and blessing and it's just such a nice issue and it was great like overall it was great but i also wanted to honorably mention I mean, the, Teen moment, Titans. the moment that i liked the most was when you find out her last name is mcduffie that was I'm a that sucker. made me I'm cry that, that made me thing. cry <clears throat> that legit made me cry yeah i just i i welled up in that on that panel um but I wanted to give honorable mention to Teen Titans number 32 because it was so cathartic and lovely to find a little, find out a little bit more about where Obelis came from and um, just a teaser that there's more to Crush's backstory that meets the eye um, and we get to see her kick some butt. So I'm looking forward to the next continuation of that story. And Batman number 74 because... What a way to bring back the story that that creepy, creepy story that he liked when he was a kid um, comes back full force when he when Batman and alternative version Thomas Wayne Batman go into the pit and they are the two protagonists in the in the story <laughs> um, in the same bedtime story that that. Um, Bruce Wayne liked when he was a kid and it just so establishes like how much how deep 
no pun intended because we're talking about a pit but how how deep batman's convictions go that he is looking at an opportunity to regain his family but he knows in his heart of hearts that all of it would be an illusion and a lie and you can't undo the past you can't unring some things you can't fix some things and you just move forward and it, it was just such a powerful thing that I, I needed to mention it. I think least. it's made. <clears throat> I think this story has made Flashpoint Batman one of the most interesting new Batman villains, if even you could call him a villain. Yeah. Um, of the past ten or fifteen years, like the idea of this alternate version of his father that's willing to be a party to so many horrible things that Bane is doing, just to break his son down. Yep. Completely, so that he will finally be convinced to stop being Batman, because Thomas thinks that. It's better for him in the long run to suffer short-term loss right? rather than, you know, spend the rest of his life fighting a pointless war or die at the hands of some random mugger with a gun next mm-hmm. week. Yeah. You know, better to suffer heartbreak and loss, lose his fiance, lose his son, lose his city or whatever, you know. Yep. Then he can go off and have a happy life with him and his resurrected mother. And yeah. that'll be it, you know. Like, it sounds a little facile to put it like that, but uh, uh, alternate version of his father that's willing to go so far but for a a sympathetic end is a really interesting and i mean the flashpoint batman character is originally conceived was was cool but he wasn't particularly deep like he was a version of thomas wayne who became batman because their son was shot in the alley instead of and and his wife martha became there was was driven mad by the death of their son and became the flashpoint earth's version of the joker i don't even know if you knew that oh i think that was implied or it was it was talked around in this issue where bruce was like what happened to your wife and you know did she die too along with your bruce and he's like no she died years later i don't like to talk about it because he had to kill her years later because she'd become their version of the joker um so, so that was, you know, that's a cool origin for an alternate version of Batman, but giving him this motivation here, because you see him alongside Bane in, at the end of Batman number 50 as part of Bane's like secret group that's been secretly controlling Batman's life for all 50 issues. And you're like, Flashpoint Batman, what is he doing there? But like, why would he work with Bane? Right, like, exactly. The last yeah. time we saw him in the button, he was on his son's side, but his last message to his son in the button, bat, in the button was don't be Batman. Like if I could say I one thing to you is my world is dying here, it's don't be Batman. It's mm-hmm. not what I would have wanted for you. And now we're seeing just how far he's willing to go for that. So I, I really think it, it's made him a really interesting character. I, I was a little worried that that, that was going to be the last we saw of him here, that Bruce was just going to beat him at the, bo- the bottom of that pit and leave him there. But then we get to the next issue, which you know was not your pick, but the part one of City of Bane and Flashpoint Batman and Gotham Girl have sort of become the new Batman and Robin to this uh, supervillain run Gotham City, you know, where Hugo Strange is the commissioner and Joker and Riddler are the yeah, new but I thought it Bullock was just and Montoya, an basically. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Super bizarre, you know? And yeah. he, uh, Flashpoint Batman is having dinner with Alfred every night uh, to sort of gloat a little bit. And Alfred's mm-hmm. like, oh no, bring, you know, <laughs> your son will come back and fix all this. What Tom King says is that <clears throat> Batman number 50 was was the because everything was going great for him up to number 50 right but then after the marriage didn't happen 50 to 75 was like all about bringing him as far down as you possibly could the nightmares arc and then this whole thing with the desert and everything but 75 is where he starts to fight back like he comes back to gotham city he gathers his allies around him again this is like the third act this is the return of the jedi to the empire strikes back you know so things are going to really start to pop now and it's going to be a lot more you know fist pumping as (laughs) he comes back and sort of 
dismantles all the stuff that Bane's put in place. So I'm looking forward to that. And the City of Bane arc is going to be like 10 issues, 11 issues, super wow. long. But of course, wow. when you're coming out every two weeks, that's not that long. It's only three or four months, right? Um, so my pick is Lois Lane number one. Awesome. Um, I'm happy to have Greg Rucka back writing anything. <laughs> writing a super smart woman is like the best thing that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of, as they would say on the West Wing Weekly, Trump III moments in this issue. <laughs> um, but, and, and you know, as much as I don't like to be reminded of that stuff, if there's going to be any character in DC Comics to speak truth to power from a political perspective, it mm-hmm. should be Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really enjoy- I'm, I really enjoyed this first issue. She's obviously written incredibly well by Greg Rucka. Greg Rucka, because he can't resist, apparently, even threw, even threw in the Renee Montoya version of the question, which... Fine, like there's no explanation for why she's the question now in the in in the rebirth continuity, but whatever. People love her name on Toy is the question, so you really need to read Fifty Two at some point because the passing okay. of the torch from Vic Sage to Renee Montoya was like the best thing about that whole series. Oh, man. Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Jeff Johns, and Mark Wade collaborating on every issue of a Fifty Two issue weekly series. Wow! Like talk about an all star lineup. Like that was one of the, the Fifty Two is one of the most ambitious and overall best things that DC has ever published. I'd say. Wow. But I've got an omnibus too. It's on our shelf. It's like <laughs> you could you could beat someone about the head with that thing and they would not recover. It is like four inches thick. Um, anyway, so that's my pick. Shall we move on to our pop quiz? Ready. Okay, so this is a bit of a weird one because I've got a couple of multiple choice questions and then one which is then a set of questions that are not multiple choice. Okay. So based on some of the cool crisis news we've been getting, I thought I'd quiz you about actors that played DC roles and then returned to their characters later or returned to play other DC roles. Okay. okay. I'll do All my right. best. So question number one. Yeah. Which Superman actor has never played another DC character? Christopher Reeve, Brandon Routh, Nolan North, or Tom Welling? Tom Welling. Tom Welling. You know who Nolan North is, right? No. From Young Justice, Superboy and oh, Superman. Oh, right, right. And Zatara, for that matter, on Young Justice. <laughs> All right. And who else did he play? He's played, everybody on Young Justice plays like four characters. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Number two. Which, I said Donner movie, even though one of these is not really, but 70s to 80s era Superman right. movies. Which Donner movie star did not appear in Smallville? The TV show Smallville, okay? Yep. Margot Kidder, Helen Slater, Terrence Stamp, or Sarah Douglas? You know who all those people are, right? Um, do you know who no, Sarah Douglas I, is? No. You know who Terrence Stamp is, though, right? No. Zod? Oh. So Sarah Douglas is Ursa? Ursa, yes. I can't believe you don't know who Terrence Stamp is. Zod is like, Terrence Stamp Zod is like the iconic. No, I know. As soon as you said Zod, I can see his face very clearly. I just didn't know his real name. Um, keep in mind, I was watching these movies when I was a kid and I didn't really We've got to rewatch Superman their... too. We watched the first one about a year ago, but the second one. It's got its issues because it's like a Frankenstein of a movie, like cobbled together from footage that was reshot by a second director after they fired Richard Donner. But can you can you go through that list again? Yes. Okay. So which Donner movie star did not appear in Smallville? Obviously, as a different character, Margot Kidder, Helen Slater, Terrence Stamp, or Sarah Douglas. I think it was Margot Kidder. Nope, she did. Oh, she did. She Ooh. recurred as don't remember the name of her character. Then it was Helen But she Slater. was like someone who had worked, who was working with Christopher Reeve's character, Dr. Virgil Swan. And they even had a nice scene where they implied that they had had a romantic history before. Hmm. Um, then after uh, Christopher Reeve died in real life, um, she she didn't want to keep doing it or something. like she, or she had like a falling out with the production because she didn't like the way that they wrote 
Christopher Reeve's character's death into the show or something oh, like that. She thought okay. they, what they had done was in poor taste, so she didn't want to be on the show anymore. So they wrote her character off too. They killed her character off. But she appeared two or three times. So was that your guess? No, because that, that's... It right. was, but I So she played that character whose name I can't remember. Was Hel- it Helen Slater? Helen Slater played Lara, I think. What? Helen Slater played Clark's biological mother on Smallville. Oh. Julian Sands from Die Hard? Was Julian Sands in Die Hard? I don't know. Yeah, I think he was. Was um was Jor-El and she was Lara. Uh, Taron Stamp uh, was on Smallville. He was the voice of Jor-El, the voice of the fortress and the voice of Jor-El for like seasons two through ten. Like he was, they used him a lot. Wow. Um, I remember this whole running fan theory was that because their version of Jor-El, like, like in the Donner movies, he was like an, what we would now call like an AI that lived in the fortress, like in yeah. the Donner movies, right? Sure. Um, but he was having Clark do things which seemed like not like what classic Jor-El oh, would do. So the hilarious. big fan theory was because he was, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah, Because he was played by Terrence Stent that it was yeah. actually Zod in the fortress yeah, yeah. pretending to be Jor-El. But no, it just turned out that he was a jerk sometimes. <laughs> much like much like the current version of Jor-El in the comics is <laughs> a jerk yep. a lot of the time. Um, but no, Sarah Douglas did not, did not. Re- she has returned to DC stuff she, at least once. Or right. twice. Twice that I can no, think of. No, she was on the, that, she was on the Supergirl yes, episode with the rain She thing. was in Supergirl a yeah. couple of times. And she also voiced the Ursa analog character Mala in Superman the Animated Series once oh you yeah okay okay last last question but so this that's is, what threw me okay. okay last question but this is like a series of six sub questions all right for each smallville actor name another dc role they've played okay okay number one michael rosenbaum oh he played the flash very good number two allison mack if you don't know who any of these people are, just say so. But hopefully you at least know, because these are all main main actors. You know who Allison Mack is, Yeah, right? she Chloe? played Chloe. Yes. Um, Before she became a sex cult leader. The actress, not the character. You didn't know about this? No. She's like going to jail for 20 years because she's running a sex cult out of Vancouver while Smallville was filming. Oh, my God. I had no idea. She was one of my favorites. Yeah. That's so disappointing. Fame does weird things to people sometimes. Yeah, anyway. Um, uh, yeah. Which is too bad because she was one of the best things about that show. Really? She was a character created for that show and she was there for all 10 years, although in a diminished role a little bit right. near the end. But she was there. She and um, I guess they did bring Michael Rosenbaum back for the finale, but she and, and Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum were like the only people that were there on the first episode and the last. And Michael Rosenbaum had been gone for three years by that point, but she was still there. So she and Tom Welling were like the only constants on that show. Anyway, so well, what other what other DC character did she play? Um, I'll give know. you a hint. It was an animated movie. You've seen well, it more no, than once. I know that I've... Okay, but I don't know who, who it was. She voiced Power Girl in Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, which is the one where they uh, oh, yeah. team up to fight President Luther with the big kryptonite meteor coming towards yep. Earth. All right. Number three, Annette O'Toole. Oh, um, oh, I'm kicking myself. There's a bit of a trick that... to this one, but not really. Did she play Martha Kent again? No. Then I don't know. I don't remember. 20 years before Smallville, she played Lana Lang. In oh, the third you're so Reading. mean. That's not, that's a trick. Hey, that's not cool. I didn't say they returned. I said name another DC character they played. <sighs> That's really mean because I knew that about her. They hadn't. They didn't know that when they of, cast her because yeah. uh, Goff and Miller, the two people that that were running the show, they weren't big Superman fans historically. Like they, yeah. you know. Um, so they, they cast her, and actually, I think she was recast because they had a different. They had to reshoot her scenes in the pilot because they originally had a different actress in that role. Yeah, but they 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 
decided to go in a different direction after shooting the pilot. So they reshot those scenes and they brought in Annette O'Toole. And it was only after they had cast her. She's just like, as she was walking in the door, she's like, you know, I played Lana Lang 20 years ago. I'm like, well, now you have to do it. Like, no, I think it was already pretty much a done deal by that point. But they didn't cast her for that reason. Right. Unlike when they bring, like, say, Dean Kane back to the yeah, Super Bowl. They course. obviously know what they're yeah. doing. All right, number four. This one's a bit of a gimme for you. John Glover. Oh, the Riddler. Yes. Again, yeah. before Smallville, right? Ten years before Smallville. Okay. Right? Yeah. Batman the Animated Series was in 92. Right. Smallville started in 2001. Okay. All right. Um, number five, Laura Vandervoort, who played Supergirl on Smallville for a couple of seasons. But I didn't <clears throat> watch those seasons, so I never knew that. I don't. You have I, seen I, the other things she know. appeared in, and we did talk a lot about it at the was time. Was it live how, action or animated? Yes, it was live action. I can't see her being a very good voice actress. I, she didn't really have a huge range. Ooh. Um, she just has kind of a striking look, you know. And she she was she's good she was good in the role, but she wasn't what you would call like a terribly emotive actress. I can't bring it to mind. She played Indigo in the first season of Supergirl, like the Brainiac Eight or whatever. Like, oh yes, you did. Kind of like about Cyborg this. Mystique. Yep, yep, looking, yep. you know, mm-hmm. exactly. I, I Red got hair, it. blue skin. I think. Yeah, you know? it was blue. I don't know mm-hmm. why Brainiac would. Well, she was kind of no blue skin. Purple. I mean, I guess, was, guess it has to be Indigo, right? She was but, like purple and blue. Yeah. All right. The last one, number six, Sam Witwer. Oh. Um, Sam Witwer. Um, no, I mean he's he's in Supergirl right now as Ben Lockwood. Right. Do you do you know who he played? We've talked about this before, but I think he's one of the things that you blank on every time because he didn't watch. He was in one season. Do you know who he played? It's so bizarre when you just say it randomly. Dark Side. No, Doomsday. Oh, that's hilarious. He was. This is the most CW <laughs> thing ever. He was a hot ambulance driver. <laughs> Slash, I think, was he a bartender? I know, I think he was going to be a bartender and then they made him an ambulance driver. He was like this hot ambulance driver that was trying to get with Chloe. I think it was Chloe. Every, like every season, someone new was trying to get with Chloe. Um, it was trying to get with Chloe. But then what you discovered was, God, this got so convoluted. What you discovered was he was Zod and Feora's son from Krypton that had been sent to Earth but mutated so that he would kind of like hulk out into Doomsday. And then eventually he became Doomsday permanently and stole Chloe from her and Jimmy Olsen's wedding and then later killed Jimmy Olsen. But that's okay because we discover he wasn't really the real Jimmy Olsen Mm -hmm. and then died. (laughs) That all happened in one season of Smallville. That's... That's... That's a lot. <laughs> wow, I don't he know. He was really good that. though. He yeah. was it was not the the most interesting role in the show, but he he sold it. Like he <laughs> was like you can see Sam Whitworth, you can imagine him mm-hmm. playing someone who's like who's like losing control, doesn't understand what's happening to him, kind of frantic. I mean, that's what he did in Bastard Galactica. What was the name of the show again? Bastard Galactica. I have become my infant son. You did pretty well. Yay! How All many right. points was that? I don't know uh, how you would see. decide you that. You got Tom Welling. You got no. You, you guessed Margot Kidder. So you got Michael Rosenbaum. You got an, uh, you got John Glover. You got Sam Whitmer. So you got three, four, four out of eight. Yay! Not bad. All right. So let's talk about our, our shows uh, briefly here because we already had a lot of news. So Agents of Shield. Obviously, there's been several episodes of most of these shows since the last time we recorded Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. This last episode had a lot of big revelations about Sarge and is it what's the name Ayala? Yella? Izel. Izel. Where am I getting, where am I getting Ayala from? That's, uh-huh. a name, that's, that's a name from something. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of revelations. Um, I think the season's been really good. There's only like, so for, for Agents of Field, Krypton, and Swamp Thing, there's only two episodes left for each of these wow. seasons because these are all shorter seasons, right? Yeah. Like 10 to 12 episodes. So we're coming near the end of some of these things. Um, I, I think this has been a really good season. I agree. I'm not sure. I, I think the pacing is really good. It's on point. It brings everything together very quickly and neatly. It doesn't feel rushed and it doesn't feel slow obviously can't feel slow right with so few i think my favorite season is probably still the framework slash ghost rider season oh that's a fun one um i thought it was an interesting experiment to have sort of three separate mini seasons Did and the you framework that stuff they was mentioned to fantastic. bring back ghost rider they mentioned they him? mentioned him but i don't think they're going to bring him back because it would be too confusing with the same actor playing a different version of the character on a different tv show because oh. remember he's getting his own right, Hulu show right. that's supposedly not in the same continuity for some reason okay. um, yeah. so I think that they mention him because he's part of the history of the show but I don't think we're going to see I don't think we're going to see him um, Krypton so you, you, you've been less enthused about the season of Krypton you've started kind of like half watching it but yeah. I think you must admit um, that the after you made episodes, that decision yeah. the last few episodes have been <laughs> actually pretty good have been pretty good um, I think not par- flawless as I continue to I mean to it's find- not it's it's not I wouldn't call it a great show but I think it is a good show like I think there's the the performances are good there are surprising plot twists it, it looks really good yep the the the, it the, does. Char- it's the characters beautiful. are likable like the actors are on you point. like sag you like like even the minor characters are good like you yep. you like sag you like Adam Strange what's the name of the guy the, that plays the sort his of squir- the sort of squirrely looking right, guy right. that was tending I know what bar you mean. and is he's now he's wonderful yeah like he's really good and now he's um, a conscripted conscripted soldier I really um, I like Colin Salmon Azad a lot I know you weren't convinced about him at first how do you feel now after you've seen him play the role more. It's a very different version of Zod it because they're playing him a bit more sympathetic. He's like the wayward son in addition to being... Yeah, he's a bit of an orphan trying to bring a family together and trying to... But the, the, core, the core motivation of Zod is to be loved and worshipped. And although well, he does... Well, I would say the core motivation of Zod is to rule. I think well, he, he probably... Oh, I suppose. To be wants, worshipped, yeah. He, he's not like Lex yeah, Luthor right. in the sense that he wants, he wants to respect the, the adulation. Right. He, he's okay with ruling every, over everybody and, and being disliked. A tyrant, so sure. He, he sees it as being his way of... Kind of like Sinestro in the sense that it's like, okay, it's okay if they fear me uh, so long as I so long as I, I feel like me. I'm keeping them safe, right, right? right? Like he sees it like Sinestro is trying to like save his planet by ruling over it with an iron fist. Zod sees himself as this is his way to save Krypton. And in a way, he's not wrong, right? Because Krypton, the original timeline, did blow up, right? Yeah. Kandor was stolen and it blew up. So anything's got to be better than that, right? Unless you end up taking over the whole galaxy. And according to Adam Strange, history just stops for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I really like him. I'd put him up there with, I mean, I don't know. Terran Stamp is like iconic in that role. And there haven't been a lot of other. That was the other thing that Smallville did. They did a season with like a young heartthrob Zod. <laughs> Oh, no. There was no... Such that, a bad Smallville, idea. and they did like Young Heartthrob, Mix of Spitlick. And this, the, that show, there was no Superman villain that they couldn't turn into like a teen heartthrob. Yeah. That was, I mean, it's one of the things you you can say about the CW shows is that even though everybody on those shows is like really attractive, yeah. they don't feel the need to take a classic comics character and make them... And like CWize them, you know? Right. Like if, the, if it's a character who's like a like Deathstroke, right? They didn't mm-hmm. have Deathstroke come in. He wasn't like some hot 20-year-old underwear model. Right, right. He was Manu Bennett, right? Like he's a grizzled 50-year-old guy, right? Yep. Like I think that's an improvement we've made in I terms agree. of like live action DC shows. Yeah. But the stuff that's happening now with the Civil War and seemingly with, God, I'm bad with names today. Um, not Nissa, Lyta? Yes, Lyta. Lyta seemingly being like executed by yeah. Jack Sewer. Yeah. Um, in the last episode, I don't know if that's real or not. Like, 
but I, I would buy it. Like I would believe yeah. that they would kill that character. It's a it's a little like I don't know if you would call it fridging. It's not ideal that you take like the most powerful female character on the show and just have her th- throat slit. Yeah. As a way of punishing one of the male characters. At least it's a female character that did it. I don't know if that makes it any better or not. Right. <laughs> the show does have other other strong female characters. Right. Um, I'm waiting for Jack Sir to turn full evil because in the in the mythology of the comics, Jack Sir was was the first inmate in the Phantom Zone and was and of course Aww. it was a man, but and he's in the current he's in the current comics. He's teaming up he's one of the Phantom oh, Zone yeah. guys that's teaming up with Rogal Zar and everything, right? That's right. Um, but he, his crime was the destruction of one of Krypton's moons. So I'm wondering if Jaxer is going to do something here that actually destroys Wegthor and she'll be sent to the Phantom Zone. That's Um, that's that's what happened in the comics, at least. Wow. Um, So I guess I got Young Justice on here first, but let's talk about Swamp Thing because we, believe it or not, we have not talked about Young Justice on this show since it came back for the second half of this season, even though it seems like it's been back for months. But let's talk about Swamp Thing first. The last couple of episodes of Swamp Thing have been really good. Yes. I'm interested in what's. I'm, I'm sort of starting to feel like the clock ticking here because there's only yes, two episodes exactly. left. And like, are they going to come back to Daniel Cassidy at all? Yeah. Maybe not. Like, yeah. maybe that's just over, right? Yeah, like, yeah. are they going to see Madame Xanadu again? Maybe not, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm super curious about the next episode because um, now they've got him, right? They've got Swamp Thing. Yep. Um, the next epi- episode is called Anatomy Lesson. And that is the name of one of the classic issues of Alan Moore's run. It might have even been the first issue of his run. At, the, at, the, at least it was like the second or third. It was like the first issue where he really put a stamp on the character, though. And it was Swamp Thing had been seemingly killed. And he was being like dissected by scientists. I think it was actually the Sunderland Corporation in the comics. I could be wrong about that. Um, and eventually he came back to life at the end. But the whole thing there that you learn, and I think I've told you this before, so it's not really a big spoiler, but that, that was the issue where you learned that Swamp Thing is not Alec Holland. Alec Holland died, and Swamp Thing is just an, an embodiment from the green that thinks it's Alec Holland, right? Oh. That was where you learned that. Like, his body is not un, in the comics. Underneath His there. body, because you've seen the thing that Swamp Thing does, right? Mm-hmm. Where he, like, disintegrates himself and mm-hmm. then, like, grows a new body on the other side of the planet, and that's how he travels. Mm-hmm. You can't do that if there's a flesh and blood body, even a corpse, under mm-hmm. there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if we're going to learn that here. I mean, because I'm, I'm thinking back to the pilot where he fell after Alec was shot and he fell into the water. We see the green coming, coming out and mm-hmm. getting him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we actually got a shot where we saw the swamp thing form, like, forming around his flesh and blood, did mm-hmm. we? I don't think we did. So I wonder if... I mean, you call it anatomy lesson. They could just be calling it that because it's an episode where evil scientists dissect Swamp Thing and we learn more about it, what makes him tick. Mm-hmm. They might not be going for the whole he's a monster who thinks he's a man thing from the comics. Yeah. I think that's one of the most interesting things about Swamp Thing. But it wasn't the original conception. That was Alan Moore's twist, right? Mm-hmm. Originally, he was Alec Holland reborn as a swamp monster, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's an interesting twist. And then, then what that did is it gave you the whole thing kind of like cyborg i guess you could say where he's like am i a machine or am i a man he's like i'm not human i was never human i'm just plants mm-hmm. that remembers being human but i don't have there's no reason why i have to be tethered to that anymore that was never my life and so this whole thing where he starts becoming more and more distant but then like his relationship to abby because whether he wants it or not he can't change the way he feels about her right, right. so she would be like his tether to humanity and it led to a lot of really interesting stuff and a lot of crazy stuff <clears throat> that you couldn't do if he was like an actual guy under there. Like right. the thing where he was like shot across the galaxy on a Zeta beam or something, and but he had no way to get home. And so what he was doing, he would travel like from star system to star system on the way back to Earth. Just he would, his body would disintegrate and he would grow a new planting, a new swamping body on 
a slightly on a planet that's slightly closer to Earth, and then he'd repeat and repeat and repeat, and that was how he was getting back to Earth. So, but every time he grew a new body on that planet, it was grown out of the plants on that planet, mm-hmm. and it would work differently and look di- look differently, and mm-hmm. he would even like think differently. I remember one time <clears throat> he he uh, it was a planet that was all machines. It was like a Borg planet basically, Whoa. and there were no plants there. But it was close enough to the, it was like the, their closest equivalent to the green that he could tap into it. And so the body he grew there was like all metal and glass and his thoughts were like all fragmented because he, it, it was super bizarre. And he grew, one of the classic things is one plant he grew and his body was blue because all the fauna there was flora or fauna, which is plants, flora, fauna. right? Uh, sorry, flora yeah. is plants. Yeah. He was all blue. <clears throat> so when you see like if they want a lot of times these days if you want to evoke the swamp thing from the Alan Moore run they'll show him with blue plants because huh. you just that's like an immediate way that you know that he's from that time all that cool stuff that you couldn't do right. if he had a human body under there so, and of course maybe their plan was to do some of that in future seasons which now are not going to happen right right but we could be seeing them setting the stage for that here even though unfortunately show they won't got, get to pay yeah, it off yeah I know it sucks <clears throat> so Young Justice Young Justice is back we've had four or five episodes um, things are really moving here. I mean, we've yes. got, I, I don't even know where to start. We've got an official team formed, like a new team of teen heroes. Yep. This like the public facing. I thought they were going to call themselves the Teen Titans because they haven't used that name on the show yet. But instead, they're the titular outsiders. Outsiders, yeah. Um, Dr. Jace continues to be really creepy. Yes. I'm not quite sure if we can trust her yet. She did have a seemingly legitimate explanation for the whole hairbrush incident of 2019. Yes. <laughs> um, but... There's a lot more going on there. Halos. And who's her? No, no. I want to know her who mysterious her mentor. mentor. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be somebody evil. It's yeah, going to be like friggin' like the brain or something like that, right? That's <laughs> a Desaad. Yeah. Her mentor is Desaad probably. It could be. Um, yeah. I mean, Halos had some really interesting development just yep. in the past couple of... Like, this is one thing that unfortunately, like, it's too bad, but it's probably still a fact. I know it was just a couple of years ago. One thing they couldn't do if this wasn't on DC Universe is they couldn't have had a gay kiss between two teenage girls mm. on the show, which is something they can do on DC Universe that they wouldn't have been allowed to do on, on Cartoon Network. Um, but like something like that, like this really, like because she's, she's all torn up now because she feels responsible for the death of Brion and Tara's parents mm-hmm. and she's, she learns that she's dying every time she heals dies. Yeah, <laughs> heals yeah. It's like every time you die, you're dying a little bit. Like that's... Yeah, yeah. I guess that makes it's sense. It's accelerating. Well, I mean, it's accelerating her, her already imminent. Yeah, cell it's like death. it's like Gotham Girl. Every time right. she uses her powers, she shortens her lifespan. Well, no, because it's even worse than that. Well, right? it's now a lot she's worse. She's right. only got like a month to live. Yeah. Do you understand the nature of the thing? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with the secret. I'm not sure what to call them. The cabal. The the they call them the secret. I've just been calling the secret six because there's six of them but wonder woman aquaman batman nightwing oracle and miss martian have mm-hmm. like the secret meeting like the the like representatives from the justice league batman incorporated the team um all meeting meeting there to yep. sort of secretly manipulate the others yeah. they're like staging pr stunts unbeknownst yeah. to gar and his team yeah um, and Wonder Woman like like skypes in from space, yeah. and she's like, "This is I'm not sure if you realize how ethically, yeah, how un- unethically you guys are behaving." One that one of the things that's really cool. I mean, as much as I would like to see more of this show's version of the Justice League, uh, like I think Maggie Q is great as Wonder Woman, um, but it's really cool that something that happened in season one, which is those what were they the 17 hours? I forget the exact number of hours. Where that were six. I of thought the, it was 60 hours. 
no, it wasn't that long. It was less than a day. But where six oh. Justice Leaguers were, were mind-controlled yep. and went off, and we later learned in Season 2, ran amok on Rimbor. Mm-hmm. That was a huge thing in Season 2 because it was what got the attention of The Reach yep. and Despero and a bunch of other characters. But now the reason why the Justice League is short-staffed on Earth because characters like Superman and Wonder Woman have been in space for like two years right. since Season 2 on yeah. basically a goodwill tour. Yep. Um, going around to all the planets that were that, affected that were affected by that that thing that happened way back in season one, which was seven years ago now. Yeah, yeah. in the context of the show, um, like we saw a little bit uh, at the uh, beginning of one of these episodes where they were on Thanagar, yep. and Hawkman and Hawkwoman actually got to speak for the first time, which was yeah. nice. And we see them talking to one of their superiors. He's like, "I don't trust you, Earthlings, and I don't really trust you either." Hall, mm-hmm. because uh, you're allying yourself with them. Like, we all know about what happened and no good, little goodwill tour is going right, to change right. that. Did you notice that the their superior was named Hrotalic? Which is the... Because, of course, this show, nothing is... Everything Accident, is a reference. Yeah. Hrotalic was the name of Hawkgirl's uh, commanding officer slash fiancé in the Justice League three-parter Starcrossed, where the Thanagarians came to Earth and she was torn between her old love and her allegiance to Thanagar and Jon Stewart and the Justice League. You remember oh, you remember Starcross, yes. right? Three-part Justice League episode, the final Justice I League remember, episode. I remember, I remember. So that, he was named Hrotalic there because, of course, do you think they would name him Kadar Hall, right? Sure, yeah. But DC was like, I don't know, this guy's kind of a villain. We'd rather you didn't use that name. So they changed it to Hrotalic, which is an anagram of Kadar Hall. <laughs> so, of course, Young Justice, everything is a reference. So even though Kadar Hall is standing right there, yeah. Well, you know what's a, a cool little touch is not only is she Hawk Woman, not mm-hmm. Hawk Girl here, mm-hmm. which is was something in the comics for a while. They didn't create that. But even though they're married, she still goes by her maiden name. Like we're used to Shyara Hall, but she's Shyara Thal here, which was her maiden name. Mm-hmm. So even though they've said in the show that they are married, yep. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of cool. Normally that it's Kater cool. and Shyara Hall. I like it. Um, yeah, Lex Luthor is getting a lot of play recently. Um, yeah, Rain Wilson. <laughs> No, it's Rain Wilson in the movies. It's uh, Mark Rolston in Young Justice. The character design is very similar because Phil Barassa does all the designs for Young Justice and for the current crop of animated movies. So you notice that Bruce Wayne basically looks identical in Young Justice to what he does. The costumes look different because the costumes have, like every season in Young Justice, they update the costumes a little bit because years are supposed to have passed. Um, But out of costume, like Bruce Wayne on the show is the same thing with like the widow's peak and a couple of little Mm -hmm. spikes in his hair that come down on the sides. And the interesting eyebrows, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rachel Ghoul looks basically the same oh, yeah. across both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of really interesting stuff. I'm trying to think what else. Um, let's see. I think it's the past few episodes have been mostly outsider space. I guess a lot. I guess a lot of the other stuff has been the um, the MetaHuman Outreach Center and Taos. Right. Yeah. We've gotten a lot more. Um, it's, you never know what characters are going to come back in the show. Like the, I don't know what you want to call them, the the Runaways or whatever. Um, in season two, they call them the Medikids. They the the no, but I mean the the, the super friends from season two. Um, oh. you had Ed and you had um, Ty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had um, Ayumi was or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. You basically had the analogs, the super friends characters, Samurai, El Dorado, um, Apache Chief. Mm-hmm. And then you had Static in there, which is where he was introduced. It's kind of an analog to the Black Vulcan character from Super Friends also. Um, so we haven't really seen most of, the, most of them. Although it was Ty in the background of something recently. No, it was um, Neutron from, from that other um, season two episode. He w- he's one of the people working at the, uh, working at the youth center also. Hmm. But no, he's, we've gotten a lot more of Ed. Uh, Ed yeah, Ed, we have. Eduardo yeah. Dorado Jr. And in fact, he's joined the Outsiders. 
mm-hmm. I was wondering what name are they going to give him because, of course, he's based on the El Dorado character mm-hmm. from Super Friends, um, hence his civilian name, which he never had in Super Friends. But here they, they gave him this Eduardo Dorado Jr. as a mm-hmm. sort of a reference to, you know, mm-hmm. E. Dorado. I'm like, are they going to call him El Dorado on the show? Which they did. They did. They did. Yeah. But I'm like, that was always like, I mean, the, the, the joke about Super Friends is that they created these new characters who weren't in the comics. Samurai was Japanese. El Dorado was Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, black Vulcan was black. Um, but they like they were they were they weren't stereotypes. But like samurai had wind powers. He wasn't a samurai. Samurai is just a Japanese word. El Dorado yep. has like teleportation powers. It's not like he turns things into gold right. or he's like can become as big as a city or something. Right. Apache chief was neither Apache nor a chief. He was just Native American and he could grow really big, right? Mm-hmm. So the the names were like, and of course, you know, I said about Black Vulcan as a name, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was black. So at least that one was applicable. But it's like this was the time when everybody, Black Panther, Black Lightning. Right, right. Like if you're a black character, you had to have black in your name, right? Yeah. So I, I'm, there was a series of funny you know, web comics that I used to read that would make fun of the Super Friends, and it's like El Dorado or or Samurai. Like these are those are just words that the writers knew that came from those countries. It'd be like if you had a Japanese show and there was one Amer- American character and you called him like Baseball President or something. Like those are American words, right? right <laughs> like right. Yankee Baseball. It's like that doesn't mean anything. It's just a word that comes from America, right? Like he's not. There's no reason why he should be Samurai. Well, he should be El Dorado. It's just yeah. like the one. Latin American word that the 50-year-old writers of Superfans, white writers of Superfans had heard of. Right. right. So they they kept the name here, which I'm a little surprised by. The Apache Chief thing has at least gotten better over the course of history because Justice League Unlimited um, gave him the name Long Shadow, which mm-hmm. I thought was better. Mm-hmm. And then Young Justice picked up on that by giving him the given name Ty Long Shadow as a sort of a nod mm-hmm. to that. Um, and I'm trying to think what um, the character that was... Did they not use El Dorado in... Because remember there was a Justice League Unlimited episode that was the one where they created the Long Shadow name with the Ultimen. So um, uh, Vice President Hoynes from the, from the West Wing and Amanda Waller <laughs> created like this PR-friendly team of young superheroes. But then it turned out that they were clone, that they were like right, artificially created and they that. were degrading. Yeah. And at the end, like Long Shadow, the rest of them are taken away, but Long Shadow, because he had helped the Justice League, gets to join the Justice League, and then we never see him again. Presumably he died because he only had like a week to live like all the others did. But I don't think they had an El Dorado equivalent there. They had a Samurai equivalent, a Black Vulcan equivalent, Wonder Twins, and Long Shadow. But I don't think they had a... So I guess the, I guess the El Dorado name hasn't really ever gotten a modern updating or equivalent. So they would have had to make something up. I just... It does seem a little strange for the show that's normally so good at representation. Like the the scene with Halo a few weeks ago yeah, where they, they had basically like a, I don't know what you call it, like um, like a, a not like, well, I, forgive me if I'm not using the proper terminology, but not just like non-binary, but like non-gendered, right? She's mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl. I'm just me. Is yeah. that okay? And everyone like, it almost felt like a little after school special to me, but sometimes you have to you know, be on be the nose that. with these yeah. things. Everybody from Miss Martian to Geoforce, like, of course it's okay. Like, we'll accept you and support you whoever you are. But like, that's a show that for a cartoon, it's that, I'm sorry, yeah. that's a, a concept that for a cartoon is pretty groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. So the show has been really great about inclusiveness and diversity and everything. So I'm a little surprised that they didn't give it a, give him a more applicable name. They, they tried to like 
wave it off in this most recent episode. They had him say something about, oh, yeah, like I'm the golden boy or something like that. Yeah. And he's got like a gold gold belt or something. But I'm like, why? Like, I don't know. Just give him... Yeah. I don't know. I felt like they could have come up with something better. But it's it's cool to see him get more development. He's sort of become mm-hmm. the de facto sort of um, leader, youth counselor of all these right. kids. And there's some interesting yeah. kids in there too. Like like not only not only do we have the original team, not only do we have the new members from season two and the new outsiders members from this season, but we have characters that were minor characters in season two, like Ed, who now have like their own supporting characters, like yeah. Livewire and the Australian girl that mm-hmm. has to wear the power inhibitor in mm-hmm. the youth center. Like... There's with like, wind powers, yeah. We're like five, six layers deep in terms of, yep. You know, characters here, but like the supporting characters have supporting characters now, right? Um, which is pretty impressive for like season three of a show. Like I, I'm the the example that people always use is like say Deep Space Nine, where by the by se- by season seven of Deep Space Nine, you had entire episodes that were being carried entirely by guest stars, right? Like you had it's only a paper moon, which was a Vic and Nog episode, yeah, and the regulars barely appeared in it, right? Yeah, but Nog did not have his own supporting characters. You know what I mean? Like right, Nog right. was Quark's supporting character and sometimes he would get the spotlight. Um, similarly with Rom, but you didn't have a Rom episode where we saw Rom's supporting cast, right? Like they never went that deep. Right. And that was season seven. Yeah. This is season three of a cartoon, a 22 minute cartoon. And we're getting so many layers deep. Right. Um, and I, I, I think it's kind of interesting how it's, the show feels very modern too. With, it with does. The, I mean, there's, they're hitting this. I, sometimes it's like 50 year old white guys trying to write about social media. But I mean, Brandon Vietti and Greg Wiseman are on Twitter. Greg Wiseman's on Twitter a little too much. Like, I, I want to follow him for Young Justice stuff, but he tweets mm-hmm. so much that sometimes I just have to unfollow him or mm-hmm. mute him. Um, so it's not like they don't understand how Twitter works. But sometimes I, I, when you see people using social media on TV, you're like, that's that feels inauthentic mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it's it's pretty being utilized pretty well here. Like, it's basically. A, a PR, basically like a Cold War, like a PR war. Yeah. It's being fought over social media by the light and, and the Justice League. Right. It's a war of minds. Yeah. It's using like G. Gordon Godfrey and Lex Luthor on, on one side. Yep. And Twitter on the other, you know, Gar and his hashtag we are all outsiders thing, right? Yep. One of the things, the last thing I'll say is that one of the things that I, I really like about the show is that sometimes important things can happen like off screen or in the background and go almost entirely unremarked upon mm-hmm. and you're just they're just counting on the audience to pay attention. So there's one episode, just in these past three episodes, there was like a little mini Jay Garrick arc that you really have to be yeah, watching closely to, to understand what you're seeing sometimes. There's one quick shot two episodes ago yep. of of an old man in a hospital with an old woman in a hospital bed and they're watching TV, you know, watching, right, watching televised the... events of what's happening in the rest of the episode. Yep. Um, and it, you have to remember Jay Garrick from his brief appearance in season two to even recognize that as being Jay Garrick. Mm-hmm. In the next episode, you see a bunch of characters talking about how they're not all there because some of them are at the funeral. Yep. And then at the end of the episode, they put a name on, on it mm-hmm. and they say, oh, you know, it's Joan Garrick's funeral. But they don't they don't hit you over the head with it. Right. And then this episode, Jay comes, comes back and he gets a speaking role. And it's like important to his motivations in the episode, the fact that he just lost his wife of like 70 years. Right. So... I mean, it's like, who would have thought that this is what I'm talking about? Like supporting characters, the supporting character, Jay Garrick has been in like two episodes. And here he got like in the background, a little mini arc where he loses his wife yeah. and is in grief, you know, like it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, really smart plotting. It's the kind of thing that you, you didn't see on cartoons 20 years ago. You weren't seeing this on Batman, the animated series. You were seeing it on Gargoyles, which was Greg Weissman's 
show. So I guess it stands to reason. That show was heavily serialized in a way that the DC stuff never really was up until, say, Justice League Unlimited. Right. Um, but it's it's pretty remarkable that you can have stuff like this. And, and of course, the fact they're getting a season four is so good because if they tried to, I mean, how can you wrap up all this stuff in five episodes? I don't know. And they, don't they've, asked, they've asked Wiseman if there's like an end point. Like, does he, he said, no, we, we could go forever. We've got story <laughs> ideas forever. It's not like they say, it's not like, oh, we've got a six season arc in mind and we right. hope we get there. It's like, no, like we'll keep making these for as long as we keep getting renewed because there's no shortage of DC Comics characters, right? right? I mean, they've they, we, we talk about this we talked about this in past episodes. Just this season, they they had an episode where we saw all the super-powered kids. And they're like, are we looking at yeah. the, the season 16 where we've got yeah, John, yeah. John and Damien mm-hmm. and the Tornado Twins? Yep. And, I mean, Anissa and Jennifer are older than those others. So mm-hmm. they could be like next season, they could be on the team or something. Right, they, right. They've got five seasons worth of characters right there. Yep. So, exactly. I don't know. It's, it's just really, it's the kind of thing that... that you you hope for as a DC fan where you get a show where not only does it respect the source material so much but it really plays up the legacy aspect of DC comics of characters passing the torch to other characters and a sense of a sense of community and a sense of family you know one of the things that people love about the Marvel movies so much is they like seeing these characters just hang out and like oh isn't it cool that Spider-Man knows Captain America now or that you know Spider-Man has met the Guardians of the Galaxy or that Thor is just going to go hang out with the Guardians of the Galaxy for a while like it's that sense of shared community like that there's a superhero community and they all just get together sometimes mm-hmm. um like you really get the sense on the show that it's all it's not like there's the Justice Society over here and the Justice League over here and the Teen Titans over here in San Francisco like it's it's one big community and the divisions between the Justice League and the team and the outsiders and other characters who are not not really a part of any of those teams anymore, like Will Harper, right? But they're still part of the family, right? You know, and you get like this blended household, like the Harper, um, Croc household, like you had Artemis and Will, and Halo and Tara and Leon, right? right? And and Artemis's dog, and it's like none of these people are biologically related, but they sort of create this little found family for themselves, you know? Right. And that's that's one of the things that makes. And and here in this episode, like they didn't even tell you that that uh, Bart, that Jay is is looking after Bart. Mm-hmm. It's just implied. Yeah. But that's what happened. And the, they didn't use the Max Mercury character in the show. But what happened was when he originally came back from the future, Wally's like, I just can't even with this kid because mm-hmm. he was impulse, right? Right, right. Um, and I guess you could say that he probably reminded Wally a little bit too much of himself when he was younger, although he would never admit it. But he sort of pawned him off on Max Mercury. He was mm-hmm. the Zen master of speed. He'd been a speedster before anybody else. He was a speedster in the old West, but he'd got he'd gotten lost in time and came to the present. And then when he disappeared or was thought dead or whatever, then Jay took him in. Jay and Joan watched Bart for a long time. So it's kind of cool. And I mean, wh- where else is he going to stay, right? Right, like, right. <clears throat> it'd be a little weird for him to be staying with his grandparents, the Allens, right? Right. Because he can't stop calling... Yeah. He can't can't stop calling like little two year old Don Allen dad. dad. Even though Iris yeah. is like, Don't call him dad. <laughs> We're trying not to completely screw him up from birth. Yeah. Um so yeah, I just <laughs> I mean there's a lot just so much to like about the show that I'm i I'm really happy that it's back. I'm really happy that they're getting more episodes. Yeah, me too. I've sort of been monopolizing the, the conversation, but do you have anything to, to add about the Young Justice stuff? Um little moments that add so much to the show you were just mentioning. Um I, I wanted to highlight Tara's arc because she took the news way harder 
than Brion did um, at the death of her parents. And I really love the artistic way that they showed that. They they gave it a little bit of a time. She she left the room. Yeah, she it, was almost seemed, it almost seemed like she was she blacking was fading out. In and out. Yeah, because yeah, it, it really hit her hard, you know. And I I appreciated that too. It I adds think, to her arc. I think you made an interesting comment off mic. There's got to be another shoot to drop there. You you made I an really interesting think... comment off mic that um, in the previous episodes she was really starting to warm up the, to the team and she was starting to convert to their side and start to empathize with the people that she was supposed to be working against. And wouldn't it be interesting if this is the last straw that like pushed her one hundred percent into the villain camp? Like that's it. I am not a hundred percent convinced. I don't that she's think they evil. will. No, no I, th- she's I think not. that and everybody what... is expecting Tara to be evil and to be on Deathstroke's side, but I think that it's not. I mean, it would be pretty bad from like an opsec perspective if she was texting Deathstroke on her phone and she had like Slade Wilson as the contact yeah, at the no, top of the text the conversation. Um, so of course it says unknown, but I, I got to. Th- I think the writers are, are smarter than this, and they're they they're playing on our expectations. I would, I I. I would put it at 50-50 odds that she's not actually a traitor and is working with Deathstroke. I know who else she's texting, and I don't know who Deathstroke is getting texts from. Yeah. Right? Right. But I don't know. Like, No, I just think that it's established. I mean, it's kind of a it's a two-way thing. It's, it's been just done not... so many times. So every version of Terra, this is exactly what happens. It's happened in the comics multiple times. It happened in the Teen Titans cartoon. It happened in the, the recent animated movie of the Judas Contract. Mm. It's just... A, I, I really think that they're I have to think that they're gonna subvert expectations on that I just think it's too it's too obvious it's too easy yeah. I don't know like maybe it's Dr. Jace who's texting him you know because we really suspect that she's up to something I, I don't know but I, I I think that there's I really think that there's something more going on there because it just seems like it's too it's too obvious for this no, show Dr. Jace is involved in the conversation she's obviously not the one texting Tara no, texting Deathstroke. What oh, if Deathstroke is oh, receiving? Oh, oh, like oh, Deathstroke is obviously oh. getting inside information right, for someone. Right. There's some sort of traitor there. Yep. And obviously Tara and Dr. Jace are the two most likely suspects. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you have anything else to... I don't know. I just don't subscribe to that theory. I think she is the one texting Deathstroke. You see what I mean though, right? For I this do. show, as, as smart as this show is and as good as they are at, at subverting expectations, I think they will it's the most it. obvious thing in DC Comics I think they is they will to have subvert it in a different way. That's my point. It's, um, There's th- like... The Wayne's getting shot in the alley. Yeah. And then like right below that is Tara being a traitor in terms of things you can count on happening. Yeah. And there's history there too. It's interesting because it's starting to come out with uh, her training session with Artemis or Tigress. Should I call her Tigress now? Because that's... Well, you can call her either because Artemis is her given name. Oh, right. So she didn't exactly have a very good secret identity before. No, that's a terrible... Because her superhero name is the same as her given name. (laughs) You're right. All right. Yes. Um, Yeah, you can... (laughs) It's. It was a nice moment they had, the two of them, with the training session where you could see the parallel uh, maneuvers being performed by her and Deathstroke, and he was far more brutal in training her. I think it is. And in, she recognized yeah, it's, that. It's interesting That's here because so they, they awesome. kind of set up her, if she is evil, they set it up here very well because she was missing for years. She was kidnapped from Markovia. She was trained, probably brainwashed, at the very least like manipulated and conditioned by the League of Shadows right. and Deathstroke and the Light. And then she was turned over to like this metahuman fight club, which is where they, the team eventually rescued her. In the comics, I'm trying to think if there was much time spent on why she was so evil. It really just felt like she was a bad seed. And and, and the question was, and, and we actually found out as, as readers fairly early on that she was a traitor. And the, then the tension was, 
you know, when will the other characters find it out? And will they, especially Gar, who was her, they were kind of an item, right? Like in right. most versions you've seen mm-hmm. Beast Boy and Terror are an item. Um, will, she, will her feelings for him be strong enough to make her betray Deathstroke? And in the end, you know, although she was conflicted, she ended up kind of going like full psychopath at the end and like, I'll, I'll kill you and I'll kill myself while I'm doing it. I'll bring this whole place down. She tried to kill everybody. You kind of just got the sense that she was, like there was no saving her. Yeah. She was just like, whether Beyond she broken. was, whether yeah. she was like a sociopath or whether she was just, she'd had an abusive childhood or what, like, I don't think we ever find out at least, not in that first act. I'm sure afterwards they filled in a lot of her backstory. But in that initial Judas contract arc, I think you just got the sense that she was just like a little snot who was evil and enjoyed being evil. Mm. And she was like 16 and she was sleeping with Deathstroke, which I don't think they're going to do on this show. But they kind of implied in the animated movie. So maybe that, but those are for an older audience. Those are PG-13. Um, yeah, but I do think it, this is probably one of the more sympathetic versions of her just in terms of, I wish she was getting a little more screen time mm-hmm. because yeah, like all this stuff is happening. And here I just praise the show for doing a lot of like the heavy lifting in the background, which is really impressive. But she's gotten so little dialogue and I understand it's a plot point that she hardly ever speaks, but she's got, she's said so little and we've seen her do so little. And there's mm-hmm. been so few revealing character moments of hers. Like she's either texting Deathstroke. They had that lovely scene with her and the others, like you mentioned last mm-hmm. week. Um, but if her betrayal or reversal of some kind or triple agent status is right. the other possibility, I suppose she could be the one texting Deathstroke, but she could be doing it. What if she's like secretly um, Miss Martian as part of like this, their secret cabal in the back cave there that we just talked about, the secret six? Mm-hmm. What if unbeknownst to Gar and the others and even Brion or Dr. Jace, Miss Martian has given her a secret mission to be a triple agent within the Outsiders and feed Deathstroke? information so that they can mm-hmm. trap him or something mm-hmm. that could that could be the other thing um but yeah i just wish we were seeing a little more because if her betrayal or lack of same is going to end up being important later mm-hmm. i kind of feel like it needs a bit more screen time to really for us to feel it you know because mm-hmm. we've seen so little of her that if she ends up being a traitor later i think everybody's gonna be like oh well i kind of saw that coming we're not going to feel like no like when everybody thought aquaman i call him aquaman now um aqualad was a traitor at the beginning of season two of course it turned out that he wasn't but when it looked like he was. Mm-hmm. All the fans were like, no, how could he be? Like, he was the most noble character in the first season, and he was the one that seemed like he had everything together. He was the most mature. How could he be a traitor, you know? Um, you felt that because you really got to like that character in season one. But here, I feel like we've gotten so little time with her that yeah, that I'm not sure we would really feel her betrayal, which is part of what makes me think they're not going to do the betrayal thing because mm. I just don't feel like it's been established enough. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. Um, we've got a few more weeks where there's only one episode a week, and then they're dropping, I think, the last four all at once in Oh, like three or four like weeks from they now. did the same, like, like they did in the, the beginning. Yeah, episode. that's good. Yep, so that's it for our shows. Wow, great bit of shows. We had a lot of fun watching watching all of this. Well, we've had a lot of, of fun here tonight. We have, we have. But you know what's not fun? <laughs> what? Diabetes. <laughs> Is that the closing? <laughs> throw a jacket over my shoulder and put one Just, yeah. foot up on a footstool. Don't forget and the, the rainbow star comes from behind. Yeah. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Um, yes. So if you want to reach out to the show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. Um, let's see, facebook.com slash smartspodcast. I'm out of practice. And www.smartspodcast.com. MySpace. Yes. Weibo. Yeah. Trillion. Tencent. Trillion. Um, My bag. We sports. <laughs> placebo. <laughs> Amiibo. So at least some of those have got to be weird social <laughs> networks that exist in like Latin America. Or Friendster. Something. 
uh, friend space. Yeah. Fr- my book. Friend my. Tweet spin. Um. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay. Funny sound. I don't have one. <laughs> that was more than enough, anyway. I could say tweet spin again. Tweet spin. There you go.